join us. Uh, we have a great program today. We really look forward to, uh, to hearing our speakers. Um, I apologize for the feedback. Thus, thanks. Um, we've got a great turnout today. We have uh, over 130 people here today. We really, again, appreciate everyone taking time out uh, to join us. Um, I'm up here with, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm R.J. Brennan. I'm the president of the Chicago chapter. We have you Morella Nebraska here, who yeah, is really our secretary this is for one, the Chicago which chapter. Is the one he has supporting. How does the number two? Hello, everyone. Uh, one is the today, I'd like to, as always, thank all of our sponsors. As you can see, they're all over the screen. Just for your information, we have 21 platinum sponsors, 15 gold and 7 silver sponsors. And because of their efforts and their contributions, all of our programs are possible. So thank you very much. We also want to tell you that our next sponsorship drive is going to kick in September. So please talk to Stephanie Cater and Meg Osman and get ready to be on that screen next time around. We, uh, we want to thank the media for their continued interest, both uh, Chicago, regional, and national media. Uh, particularly, there was a very nice article in the Chicago Tribune and the Midwest Real Estate News last month, and we're looking forward to uh, more articles in the coming months. We also want to share with you something very exciting. Um, Tom Silva, who is leading our University Alliance program and initiative, has actually been very successful, and we as a chapter have been very successful in establishing an alliance with DePaul University. And today, as part of our luncheon, we have uh, one uh, lady who is part of DePaul, and she's going to be uh, helping us with all of the outreach related to university alliances that we'd like to establish and bring new blood to all of the, to our organization. A uh, special thank you to our education patrons, Cressa Partners and Steelcase. As always, we appreciate your uh, uh, participating uh, at the higher level and, and uh, bringing additional guests to the uh, to the event. Our, our chapter uh, our chapter reception in uh, in Denver was uh, was a, a great event. Uh, it was uh, co-hosted with Michigan and uh, Ohio Kentucky chapters. We had a tremendous, it was a tremendous success with peak attendance, over 75 people. We had over 150 people throughout the course of the night, and they literally shut the bar at 11 o'clock, turned off the lights, and kicked us out. So it was, it was a rousing success. And also, for all of you who were actually part of our membership appreciation event that took place a few weeks ago, we are delighted to actually share with you the very first Michael Kaczmarek Leadership Award that was given to Tom Silva, Tom Silva with the older group. Tom, could you please stand up? Tom has been awarded for his exceptional volunteer work, and we want this to become one annual award that will give incentive to all of you to please be involved, because we all can make a difference. Uh, Brian Hayes, will, uh, will, our, uh, our program chair, uh, will give you more detail on the upcoming events in a few minutes, but here are two of the biggies. Uh, one is that we have an evening event coming up on May 24th at Avian Amro at 4.30 to 7 o'clock. It's important that it's limited to 65 people. There will be no on-site registration, so you need to make sure you signed up on the web. And the topic is a master's in disaster. And uh, one last announcement in terms of the progress of our committee's work, which we believe are extremely important motivating factor for all of us to participate. This is the Community Reinvestment Committee led by Sharon Cron. Sharon? We actually, uh, with, um, with Sharon's guidance, have, um, have established the next Community Reinvestment um, goal, which is to get an alliance with Boyd Corporation and United States a Green Building um, Committee, and with their help and our chapter's help, we actually are going to establish our new uh, initiative related to community investment, and if you are interested, please talk to Sherry. Well, you want to cover our pitch first? What's happening uh, in Sherry? Sure. Um, 
All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's actually very interesting. We have never had as a chapter any suburban events. So we're actually going to have the very first one. Mark your calendars. It's a breakfast at Riverwalk in Rosemont on June 28th. The topic is yet to be determined, but it's going to be great. So, <laughs> so we're uh, continuing to uh, uh, expand our continuing education credit opportunities. And the first thing, as you're probably all aware, is that for those of you that are MCRs, uh, you continue to be able to get professional development uh, credit uh, for this. But we're adding uh, currently the IIDA, which is uh, the uh, International uh, Interior Design Association. For those of you not familiar with them, they were founded in 1984. They co-sponsored our Sustainable Leadership Award for Design and Development presented at the Denver Summit uh, last week. Uh, and they're a professional networking and education association of 12,000 members in nine specialty forums in 30 chapters around the world. So please make sure that you sign the appropriate forms at, at the front door if you're either an IIDA uh, member or a uh, MCR. And we're also working on Illinois Real Estate Board and uh, AIA continuing education credit so we can start with these credits uh, later this year, so stay tuned. And uh, also, um, uh, this is the time that we'd like to actually give the uh, attention to all of us to the uh, spotlight, uh, to spotlight one of our sponsors, which is Clue Construction. And I'd like to introduce um, Julie Oshie, Vice President, Director of Business Development. And I believe a new Cornet board member, or not Cornet, Cornet member as well. All right. I've been there in 11 years now. Um, just to give you a brief overview about Clune, we were formed in 1979. We were back then in the sale construction. Mike Clune is um, the man who started it all, and he's pretty much the legacy here in the city, so I'm very fortunate to work for him. We're the largest interior contractor in the Midwest. Um, we've also been awarded the Interior Contractor of the Year six times, which we're very proud of. We have offices in Chicago and Los Angeles with an annual volume of uh, $300 million for 2006. So just a quick, brief overview. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Enjoy your lunch. We'll be back shortly. Thank you. Uh, welcome to our May program. It's my pleasure to introduce today's topic, which is the view from the C-suite, uh, leading in a brave new world. We have a great panel. Uh, I'll give a, a brief introduction of the, of the group, and then uh, our moderator will give us more detail. Nancy Hickey is the Senior Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer for Steelcase. She's been with Steelcase since 1986, started in sales, and true uh, to our session today, she has been through many many parts of the company, which is what we're talking about, bringing the C-suite into the process and making sure that we start breaking down the silos and have the most effective organizations that we possibly can. She's been in her present role since 2001. I'm going to read the list of things she's responsible for since I can't remember all of them. She's responsible for corporate communications, global human resources, corporate and community relations, aviation, global facilities and real estate, Steelcase University, and cultural innovation. And because she's easily bored, she is also responsible for corporate information technology and the CIO reports directly to Nancy. So a very, very great background to bring to this discussion and we'll get her perspective from the C-suite. Next, I'd like to introduce Fung Chin. Fung is the Director of Real Estate for WW Granger Corporation, a Fortune 500 company headquartered here in Lake Forest, Illinois. Uh, annual sales of about $6 billion. They are an industrial distribution company. 
Among overseas a portfolio of approximately, well, in the U.S., I guess, 14 million square feet, larger than that internationally. Uh, 426 uh, service centers and nine warehouses. He's responsible for a number of major initiatives, including uh, growing their presence in the top 25 metro areas of the U.S., as well as expansion into Mexico, China, and other markets. Uh, Fung, prior to uh, Granger, was at Siemens Technology, where he headed up U.S. real estate. And I know there's a few alumni here from the uh, Rubloff days, back when Rubloff was not just a residential uh, brokerage firm, but a major player in the development and uh, corporate side of the business. And Fung was involved uh, both on the asset management and development uh, sides of the Rubloff organization. And Fung is a, an architect, as is our next uh, presenter, and actually our moderator, the man who will hopefully bring it all together for us. Uh, Francisco Acoba is a senior manager at, in, in Deloitte's uh, corporate real estate practice. His specialty is working with companies to, to break down the barriers and create uh, more uh, efficient organizations. Uh, he's a graduate of Harvard's Business School where he did, uh, in real estate. I just found out they had a real estate concentration, but uh, uh, he graduated from, from Harvard. He's also an architect as well from Cornell and uh, has been involved with uh, um, his current position for about three years. Prior to that, he was with Booz Allen. And prior to that, he was with Gensler. So, again, a broad background for uh, Francisco. Uh, he's very active in Cornet, both has achieved both the SLCR and MCR designations. He's written numerous articles. And he's a member of the core faculty who teaches a number of courses at uh, for the MCR designation. So, great panel. We're delighted to have all of them. And I'm going to turn it over to Francisco. Steelcase as a rookie salesperson uh, for, that, for our industry. Uh, spent eight years working my way through the sales organization in Boston. Ended up in, uh, as a regional manager. Moved to Grand Rapids, where Steelcase is headquartered in 1994 to lead our dealer distribution for North America, about 450 dealers. In 1999, our CEO, uh, I always tell him his best selling job, he convinced me as a you know, a very robust and hearty sales and distribution person that my next career move was into HR. And um, I, I really, I couldn't get that for a long time. I kept saying, you know, why? Why would I do that? And he convinced me that to have a broader experience and to go hire a new organization, I needed to um, move around the company. I had to do different things so I could really understand how the full company worked and that as important as sales was that if there was more to being successful than just getting the order. So I had thought about this for a long time, but actually it was a seven-month conversation before he persuaded me. Um, he was right. I learned a lot about how our company worked by being in charge of human resources. That became a global responsibility. And then uh, other functions started to be added, and corporate real estate facilities was one of them uh, in, in 2001, as well as some of the other things that uh, Brian mentioned. 
And that started to really exchange the way I looked at what the company needed to do to be successful and how things integrated. Uh, we'll talk more about that. About a year ago, I also um, was given the opportunity to leave IT. And so adding the IT to the HR to the real estate started to have a lot of um, a lot of power to it as far as not my power, but understanding how those functions when linked together could do more to help the company. Um, and so that's my current set of responsibilities as well as some other, some other things. And uh, I love what I'm doing. I'm Fung Chen, uh, Director of Real Estate from uh, W.F. Granger, and uh, I've been with the company slightly over two years. Uh, prior to that, I was with uh, Siemens, uh, both uh, at a, from one of the businesses uh, here in Chicago called Siemens Building Technologies, and I was uh, most recently Executive Director of Siemens Real Estate uh, out of the Business of New Jersey's corporate reports for uh, Siemens. Um, I'm an architect uh, by training, and so I have more of a technical background, um, but it's uh, been a pretty interesting uh, career. Um, how I arrived uh, in real estate was almost purely by accident. Uh, I have been working in the architectural profession for almost 10 years, and um, decided to, uh, as you know, architects are not necessarily the most well compensated uh, sector of the business. So I made the jump to go into what we call blue law, and I spent a number of years with the development and asset management. And uh, then subsequently, I was outsourced to a company uh, called Landis Appear, which is a controls company. And uh, when I arrived there, I, I felt really like a duck out of water. Here's an architect uh, full of a technical engineer company. So, um, but I did a little nosing around and found out the 150 plus branches they had in North America that nothing was being uh, administered. Uh, all the, the branches were being administered by contract administration. So I realized that um, that wasn't necessarily one of their core strengths. And so little by little, uh, within a year, um, I really had the responsibility to uh, manage and coordinate uh, the North American uh, operations or branches uh, for um, <coughs> Lattice and Gear. Subsequently, they were bought by Siemens, and uh, uh, we then bought other companies, and then uh, all of a sudden I had uh, uh, consolidation issues, how to uh, coordinate and uh, combine uh, all various operations throughout North America. So I spent uh, some time doing that, and then um, was advised by my boss, the former CEO, uh, that uh, Siemens really needed to do with uh, corporate headquarters, and uh, I've been resisting for a number of years, but ultimately ended up uh, going there and uh, spent uh, about two years with them. Um, as Nancy said, uh, my responsibilities, uh, are, the responsibilities for real estate are very, very different for, for Granger. Uh, we are an industrial supply company. Um, we don't, our workplace is very, very different. Um, the 430 some odd branches that we have now um, are largely uh, operational based. They are involved, uh, majority of our spaces with 90% of the branch is really uh, warehouse. It's where we move and sell material. I call it industrial stuff. And so um, the, the workplace itself, uh, in terms of the showroom and the office, really represent about 5% uh, in each of the uh, Branch. So it's a little different uh, situation, but we've gone under a major um, initiative with market expansion, addressing the top 25 markets over the last four years. It's like $109 investment. It involves not only the bricks and mortar, but also um, integrating the other cross functional teams as warehousing, and services, and merchandising, and the office itself. So the work that I've been involved with is really coordinating and bringing these, these very, very different groups together and including working in a working environment. Okay, great. Um, so thanks for the background, and uh, we'll be diving into the details of that uh, a little bit more. Uh, right before the next page. Um, so just want to give you a little bit of context on the, on the enterprise uh, leadership study that was conducted by Coinet uh, two years ago. This was part of the 2010 uh, initiative, uh, which was a research initiative uh, to look at what is the future of the workplace, of work, and the nature of locations, etc. Uh, many of the companies were probably involved uh, in the studies. 
Uh, there are three key findings you know, across all eight workshops. Um, enterprise leadership was one of eight. Um, the first being uh, competitive advantage will require continuous business process improvement. That's a topic you can hear more about later today. Um, and utilize the entire network of business partners. So that network not only addressing the internal components of HR, IT, real estate, etc., but also the external suppliers, uh, service providers, consultants, etc., that work with the corporation and the enterprise. Uh, the second key finding is um, really the, to optimize productivity of the worker, uh, it's going to require a new approach to integrated infrastructure solutions. Um, and I think there's some great examples today about how that is already working uh, in many companies. Uh, we have a couple of case studies as well as our, our panelists here. Um, and it's interesting to see, in many cases, how often uh, when companies begin to embark on what we would call uh, advanced working strategies, or advanced workplace management strategies, if you look at the spectrum of, let's say, this 1 to 10, the 10 being the most extreme end of the strategy uh, possibility, Companies often have to go up to like five or six just to accommodate the different ways in which their workers are already operating today. So it's not that the company is ahead, it's actually that the workers are taking things to a new level and the companies are actually catching up to some extent. Uh, the third key finding here is uh, to optimize the entire portfolio of business enterprise resources. It will require new skill sets. Uh, we're going to talk today about some of the new enterprise and leadership skills that are required, um, and we're going to get uh, thoughts and opinions from the Bank and Fund as to how those skills, roles, and so forth are emerging within their companies. I just wanted to provide you with a little bit of, of um, a background. This is one of the survey questions that was issued as part of the Cornet study. And if you, if you can see the question there is, do you agree that network-based business models will fundamentally change the infrastructure needs of the enterprise, and in this case, with the year 2010's target. Uh, so as you can see there, more than 70% of the respondents, about 300 respondents, um, indicated that they somewhat or strongly agree. Um, so you, uh, you might ask, what is exactly a network-based business model? So this is a diagram that begins to depict that. Um, and as you can see, you know, you have the, the enterprise, you know, the C-suite, the different business units, and then uh, infrastructure here is being uh, represented as a, an integrated IT, real estate, HR uh, or entity, uh, or at least the, the, those functions are working together closely, collaborating to deliver workplace solutions. Uh, but as you can see, that entire portion of the, uh, the box that's around the company, the enterprise itself, the corporate entity, is really the smallest part of this network. Uh, there are you know, supply chain components, the external IT support, real estate, um, and the far right here you'll see uh, a box representing business process outsourcing, which is sure something many of your companies are going to begin to engage in, either locally or, or offshore. Um, so this really just begins to, to depict what that network could look like in all parts and pieces. Um, and you know, this part I'd actually like to get a little uh, uh, interaction from the panel here and get some thoughts on, uh, as your companies have begun to adopt integrated infrastructure models or are beginning to move down the path, um, how are some of the roles changing? How have you had to adapt within your function to, to work in that environment? Start there. I think when I arrived at Granger, the real estate organization was very, very tactically focused and uh, largely on project management uh, types of activities. In fact, with some of the initiatives that are, that are going on, they really weren't, I would say, leading edge. So the the struggle that we had was to to shift the, the paradigm from a tactical to much more of a, of a strategic perspective. I think the other aspect was there was a belief uh, internally that they could do it all uh, to A to Z. In fact, um, there are a lot of aspects about what, in real estate that are not necessarily uh, core strengths uh, within the company. Uh, for instance, in Granger, as in most companies, real estate is not a core business. And so one of the things that we, we did very, very quickly 
was to shift uh, and outsource uh, those issues that are not the core of the business. For instance, um, the cat, that the cat work was uh, outsourced to, we have Nelson uh, uh, as a, a supplier. Um, the other aspect that I saw um, within our company as well was everyone wanted to be a deal maker, you know, a deal junkie. Is it? And that's the core business for, for the company. Again, we consolidated that activity, which was dispersed for people who have been working uh, suppliers to us for 20 plus years into a situation where the public corporate service provider to consolidate all that activity. So one of the things we, we did was to try to move out uh, that part of the business, which really is not germane to, to the arrangement. Um, to, to respond to this question, I'd have to go back and frame a little bit about Steelcase's recent history. The company's 95 years old, but in the, about five years, six years ago, um, we hit, our industry hit a recession uh, that took our incoming order rate down about 40-45% and uh, for a period of two to three years. And so our reaction had a lot to do with consolidation and a lot to do with really re-examining the way we went to market as well as the way we produced our products and everything about our company was basically up for grabs. Um, when I look back on that period of time, I think it was one of those crises that you dreaded but you will be appreciative of longer term because I think it helped us to attack some parts of our business that had just been left alone for far too long. Um, and we almost got to the point with certain things that we we really didn't know why we had done them that way, just that we always done them that way. And so it was a, a major undertaking to pull the organization apart and to look for the opportunities as Hung did for other ways to get things done uh, to help us to compete. Because in, no matter what business we're in, it is about competing. It's about competing in a marketplace that's always changing and will always continue to change. So there's never going to be one model that will sustain you forever. So we did a, a lot of that. And all the bubbles that are up there, um, got touched, we looked at, at outsourcing, and we outsourced things that were not core to our company. Um, Steelcase was probably one of the most vertically integrated companies I've ever seen, I could ever find. Um, and when I think, when you think of that, you think about a manufacturer, you think, oh, well, they bring the raw steel and stuff. We went far beyond that. Um, the classic example is we, on our, on our campus, had a medical center with nine nurses and a doctor because at one time, that was a way to be sure that everybody, and there weren't urgent care centers on every corner, but 20 years ago, that was the way you kept your workforce close by, you took care of them. It was just a very different time. So, undoing all that while trying to reshape the company, try to make, take advantage of the resources that outsourcing, offshoring, and BPO offered us was a, a major part of our work. It also forced us to bring together functions that needed to understand each other's portion of the business. Um, it's really just not possible anymore for IT to act in a silo separate from HR, for HR to act in a silo separate from real estate. Um, those functions have to combine together to give you the best business solution you can have. And for us to be successful, we felt that they had to be brought more closely together. And I think the change, um, Francisco, that's going to evolve from this is that if you're a single function uh, leader or, or professional, if you want to grow in an organization, you have to move laterally across your company. You have to be able to develop uh, an understanding and a competence in other functions inside the company because it's not going to be those um, functional silos in successful businesses in the future. So, something like that. To Nancy's point, uh, the, the, what we saw when I came into uh, <coughs> the grain group was a very, very siloed operation. Um, for the longest time, they were uniquely by themselves. Um, I have an analogy of a, <coughs> from the Field of Dreams they could rebuild a building and build it and they would come. Well, that's not true today in today's market. Uh, with competition being as, as difficult as it, as it is, was shifting uh, um, parameters all the time, and uh, you know, the issue of speed of market uh, no longer can our group be um, segregated from the rest of the business. You have to understand the business and the key, key issues that are the underpinnings of that, and then design solutions around that with, with the cross-functional team. It's no longer about the bricks and mortar, but in fact, it's a multifaceted approach. We had uh, merchandise uh, 
because we did have uh, uh, the distribution of supply chain issues that also affect the building. So you have to understand all those components and how to integrate that into the solution. So, um, Nancy, I'm curious, um, in your role as a chief administrative officer, what would you say are the three key skills that you have to have because you need to be able to effectively work with all the different functions? Patience, uh, <laughs> sense of humor. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert. I mean, I'll be very honest for 130 people. I'm not an expert in any one of those disciplines. What I think I know, I think my advantage coming into this role is I understand our core business. I work on the front lines of our business. I understand our distribution network. I understand the strategic direction of the company. So all those things, I think, have helped me and, and would help someone else in this job to be successful. The second thing, I think, is you have to take some time to you, have to, you have to set the expectation that you are not going to be the technical expert in every one of those functions. And you have to, over a period of time, learn the quality and the caliber that people reporting to you. Um, it took me a while to know the right questions to ask so that I could really understand that the people I was working with um, understood their portion of the business and that they were also willing to understand the other components of the business. So I would say that that was a, a big thing. And that was hard because I had always come up through jobs in the company where I had really owned the team and been able to build a team and that was my part, that was my silo. And I loved it because, you know, I was, it was you know, galvanized and it was, we all had the same t-shirts and stuff. But, but then when you have to move out of that, you have to really open up, you know, your thinking. So that was, that was tough. And it was, I didn't do well, my, you know, I don't think anybody else really noticed it that much. But for me personally, I didn't sleep well those first couple of years because I felt like, gosh, I don't know this stuff as well as I should. So it took some time. You have to give yourself, I think, a little time to learn um, those different things. But also set parameters about how deep are you going to go in, in learning it. And then you've got to engage these people with each other and help them understand why understanding each other's roles is important to the company, important to the success of the business, and how that actually can become more interesting. And they can do problem solving that's so far beyond what they've been able to do when they've been just functionally focused. They can really do things that are strategic, long-term importance for the organization. And if I can have a fourth one, they can become role models. And I think for business in the future, this idea of a diverse set of experiences is very much um, a role model that people will, will want to see and will need to, to emulate. And from, how about from the, from the corporate real estate perspective, your organization has changed significantly in the last couple of years and you've implemented new sourcing strategy, et cetera. What are the key skills for, for your role as a lead for the CRE? Well, let me also frame the, the, the situation. Uh, I've hired virtually 60%, more than 60% of my staff within two years, uh, recognizing that uh, we have a lot of longer and long-term employees, but uh, also where the company was, was going and the initiatives that, that, were, were being, that we were asked to, to participate in and lead required us to come at it very, very differently. And, and the challenges, I think, in, in uh, organizations such as ours was a lot of legacy uh, uh, issues, things that we've always done, and we've been very successful with us to a point. So not being able to recognize where we need to go, and that was the, the, the struggle for, for us. And so it's taken us a while. Um, we've also recruited in a lot of diverse talent from the banking sector, uh, from the services uh, sector, as, as well as uh, uh, those are technically as well. So it, it's, it's, we've taken a whole different uh, approach. It's good to have, not, I'm an architect, but the last thing that we want to do is hire all architects. That's, that's not beneficial to, to the company. And so you want to have uh, a really diverse um, experience base. This is what's the thing I fully agree with, is that you need to have people with, with different uh, outlooks, different, uh, different perspectives. Even the work experience is extremely valuable. So it's not just everything is one-sided uh, because, in fact, it is very, very different. And the solutions that are being asked for are not going to be necessarily bricks and mortar. It could be you know, processing issues, you know, looking for opportunities uh, when I go overseas, uh, looking and understanding how to work in, in different cultures, uh, different situations. It's very, very different. Um, 
So again, having that ability to have pull on on these experience levels really does 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 help. And I think it's interesting that you know, we're hearing about all the skill sets and the, the key qualifications, and we're not hearing a lot about, about real estate or any of the functions specific uh, to what Nancy was talking about. Uh, on the next slide here, I think this, that, you know, this further supports that argument. This is another um, survey question that was issued by Cornet asking what are the primary responsibilities of the senior corporate real estate infrastructure lead by 2010? And as you can see, the first three that are listed here, plan and manage a network of partners to deliver services, act as a change agent, and plan and manage a highly dispersed network of physical assets. You know, two out of those three have nothing really to do, per se, with real estate assets. They're more about managing business, integration, uh, leadership, change leadership, enterprise leadership. Um, so I think this is definitely, uh, if you go down the list, you don't even see um, specific items done, you know, for real estate in any detail at all. Um, so I think it's a very telling, telling survey question. Some of the, um, the terminology that's being put out there as far as what are the roles for corporate real estate going forward, um, and you're seeing some of these, I'm sure you've seen some of these buzzwords, sustainability agent, workplace strategist, process owner, technology ambassador, Integrator, resource optimizer, risk manager. Um, these are again more about um, you know supporting, as was in the title of the, uh, the lecture today, the, the invite, the business of the business, and not really you know, supporting corporate real estate or the function uh, or the specialty itself. This slide here talks a little bit about how performance expectations are changing, and as you can see. From the far left, if we go back about 20 years, we're talking about very specific you know, real estate skills. That was what was valued, that was what was uh, desired uh, in the corporate real estate executive. As you move down towards the, into the future 2010, you know, the key skills and responsibilities here are more about you know, integration, understanding people, processes, performance, um, being able to operate in a global, uh, integrated fashion. Um, I'd like to get some, some thoughts here. I know both of you are right now uh, operating on a, on, a, on a global basis and, and are, are managing dispersed groups across the world. Are you seeing some of this uh, shift as well? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, actually, uh, maybe I can use an example of, of um, uh, my China experience. Uh, last year, uh, we opened up our first China operation uh, in uh, suburban Shanghai. And we've been there for a couple of years, uh, gearing up. Um, but what's interesting, when I went to, to uh, Shanghai to talk to uh, service providers, I found out there was virtually no one there. I mean, even though the major companies are represented, the experience level was virtually non-existent. Uh, it, was, it was, I would consider, a very, very good business. So I had to readjust, because all of a sudden, I couldn't go to my local service provider and find out, pull down the listings. Well, they don't have the list. Everyone has a homegrown. But there's no um, database like Postcard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they may have it for Shanghai, but they certainly don't have it for the rest of the country. So you know, you you, you go into to, to a country and you realize that things are in fact different. So you, you have an opportunity to to get to the the, the column or the, the far right hand much much quicker than you would historically because they, they don't have a background in that in that area. We opened our first facility in China last year as well, and, um, and I think just understanding the Asian marketplace, understanding the the uh, changes, the shifts that are about to happen around the world as the world just keeps getting smaller and smaller, um, and the fact that we bring a set of perceptions with us, typically as North Americans, about what we what we have had, just as people in Europe have expectations and, and Asia as well. So you, there's this constant learning that goes on, and I think it's it's really um, it's tough, but it's so important to our future to be able to say we have got to build uh, competencies in these other areas, and we've got to figure out uh, the things that we're looking for, the things that we need. I think in your case, certainly they were. But sometimes we bring a set of expectations that really aren't even applicable in the marketplace we're going to. 
um, there's new lessons to be learned in, in those markets instead. Um, we find it, I find it endlessly fascinating how much I don't know, you know, and you don't know what you don't know, which is also the interesting part. So I think this progression has been very important. Again, it talks about that, that integration. Um, and obviously, most people don't start on the far right of this, of this part. So you're, yeah, you're far right here. Um, so I don't want to underplay the importance of having some levels of, of confidence in different professional skills. But I think it's the ability to move from one to another and to another. It really gives you that integration. I think that's really the thing that, you know, you can't start without anything. You've got to have a nucleus to build on. But then moving um, across organizations, getting experience and helping build will allow you at some point to bring that expertise that, that this um, slide describes. I think that's a great point, Nancy, because the, the skills that you see for relative real estate and, um, you know, and business and, and, uh, and process management are foundational to being able to do what's being shown on the right. In other words, if you can't do what's on the left, you're never going to get to that. Uh, so that is foundational, and you have to, uh, you have to be as um, it builds on itself. So um, one more uh, Gallup slide here on the survey side. Um, this really emphasizes the fact that strategy of customer relationship management um, is going to be the real focus. Um, and I think as, as we hear from the Nancy talk, they're definitely talking about you know integrating strategic planning, business planning into their work, uh, and also you know trying to figure out how to best uh, establish and manage relationships with their customers and their clients across the enterprise. Um, so we'll hear more about that as we get down the line. Um, this is a chart uh, that I'm sure many of you see iterations of in the past. It's the four-step uh, maturity model for corporate real estate organizations, starting from the far left of task manager and moving up through business partner, strategist, and visionary. Um, you know, what we're talking about here with enterprise leadership and integrated infrastructure really begins to address what we describe here as in, in the visionary box. Um, it's really treating HR, IT, and real estate as an integrated set of capabilities and delivering comprehensive workplace um, solutions. Nancy's organization, interestingly enough, is one of the you know, model organizations in the, in the industry that has moved to that that operating model. Uh, many other organizations have, have tried and are, are, are moving towards that direction, but aren't operating in that in that mode yet. Um, Nancy, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, the, uh, the key challenges that you have to deal with in making that shift, because it certainly, I can imagine, didn't happen overnight. No, it didn't happen overnight. And it's still, you know, it's an ongoing process. It's like anything else in business. It's, you know, it continues to get to a level, and you need to determine what's the next level to take it to. Um, a lot of it has to do, as I mentioned earlier, with giving people the license to learn about other parts of business, encouraging them to do that, talking to them about that as career progression. Um, I think most of most corporations have flattened their hierarchy dramatically in the last 10 years. I know Steelcase has. And so for people who want to advance into key leadership roles, it's not going to be just by staying on one path. It's going to be about showing your flexibility and your interest in moving uh, laterally across the organization. And maybe even in different geog well, and actually in different geographies as well, so that you end up having a broader knowledge of the company and a broader set of skills. And one of the things that, just to kind of tie into that that I think is very exciting is we're all reading daily about the uh, war for talent and the shifting demographics and I think that that plays an important role here. Um, everything we read about younger generations reminds us that they're not looking for jobs for 30 years. They're not, they don't want to come work for a company for 30 years and that seems to be you know, a, a bias. And I, I don't really have a problem with that bias, but I think as an employer, one of, my one of my challenges is how to keep the very best talent inside my company. And maybe they will be there longer than they expect if they do a variety of different things inside our company. And so if they start out in finance and they move into real estate, then they have the opportunity to manage um, a combined function that also includes IT. That may be enough change for them to keep that talent and that knowledge that they've now developed inside our company, inside our four walls, versus having them finance and, and steel case and then leave to go to somebody else so that they can get an experience in real estate. I think that talent management, especially in the face of the exodus of baby boomers, is a huge 
challenge, but it's also a great opportunity. Because they really, really need to have them do in their careers what they want to do, ultimately. Um, and then when I think, of, if I take that one step further, I think about um, how much for the generation we're now trying, or rather in court, how much their life is already an integration of HR, IT, and, and space, if you will. You know, if any of you have teenage children, as I do, you know that they they're live in a world that's my fa Facebook, you know, myspace.com, their IT to them is not a, a work tool. It's a social networking tool that also allows you to do work, which is great. Um, so there's a social there. That's how they work. They expect tools, and they expect a space that's going, going to allow them to do what they want to do and how they do it. So I think that combination that companies are now seeing as powerful to bring together from a strategic perspective it's almost really embedded already in our workforce of the future. And if we don't play to that, if we don't acknowledge that, we're going to really miss an opportunity for this next generation of workers that we really need and we need to um, engage and keep. Thanks, Leah. I think this, uh, again, echo that comment. Um, I, I think in this age, everyone multitasks. I, mean, I noticed a number of your, your black barriers and glancing uh, <laughs> down. I'm not offended by that, by the way. That's, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> For the generation coming up, it, it is very much the norm. It's, it's, not, it's not that unusual. And I, I know in our company, um, there are positions at very, very senior levels that uh, you cannot come up directly from the, the organization uh, beneath it. You, in fact, as Nancy said, you have to have. Um, Experience in other other areas. Like if you're coming up from operations uh, with a very senior level, you won't get to that next position unless you've had a position in sales or finance or some other uh, aspect of the company. Additionally, we have uh, programs uh, underway to, to rotate those uh, um, individuals that are tapped to be uh, that have high potential to actually do rotation in various parts of the business. So again, this whole aspect of this. Uh, Eliminating the silos and really looking at a very um, um, an organization that has, or individuals that have a lot of experience in very various uh, aspects of the company, I think is absolutely perfect. And so you're in the process of really helping lead your organization through this, this journey right now. That is correct. Uh, over the last two years, you mentioned you hired 60% of your staff in the last year and a half, as well. That. Um, what are some of the specific challenges within Granger that you had to deal with to you know, get leadership on board to, to make this change? Well, one of the aspects is, is uh, Granger is a very, very old company. It was founded actually in 1927 here in Chicago. It has been very, very successful and probably has one of the highest employee satisfaction uh, uh, percentages anywhere of any company. So you have a lot of people who have been there, not only first generation, generation but second generation, you see relatives. I was just astounded by the number of people that, that worked there and continued with relatives uh, in, in a couple generations. So what what some of the challenges that I faced when I came into to Granger was the, the issue of legacy. Uh, they were very successful in getting where they are today, uh, when I arrived about two years ago. But what the company is, is having to do, the challenges that are in front of them, is asking for very, very different ways of, of, of uh, doing work. And this has been very, very difficult for some of the, the, the staff members that, that we had. But we're also um, supplementing that by bringing in uh, service providers, uh, those of you in the audience um, that have, have working with uh, Granger. I think this is really important uh, to bring a level of expertise bring a level of, of understanding of what's going on in the marketplace. And this is actually very, very valuable to, to, to our group. And, and you know, you're coming from two very different companies, different types of organizations. Aside from the HRIT real estate components, which are critical to you know, integrated workplace delivery, what other components are maybe specific to Ranger or, or Stokies? Given the culture and, and, and the type of work you do, uh, I think uh, another aspect is, is speed to market. I hear this all the time. And revenue, we're a publicly traded company. We have revenue targets that, that we need to, to hit. 
uh, as the students are very polite or kind to you if you don't. So uh, we're under a lot of pressure. And so speed to market is, is really a major factor there. And sometimes you can't put it all internally. You, you just you don't have the bandwidth. You don't have the time uh, that's allotted. So you have to look at other ways of, of getting to achieving the support that you need through other means and methods. So you're constantly looking for new processes, new ideas. Um, I'm a big believer uh, in if someone's got a better mousetrap, you know, we're on it. And it doesn't have to be homegrown. But uh, to Nancy's point, you bring these experience levels from other other areas, you know, strategic partners, I think is, is a key piece of this. Um, because you can't do it by yourself. Yeah, that, I, I don't think I can say that any better than Pum just said it. And, and we're a publicly traded company too, and there is no there is no slack that the market will cut you. So speed to market is important. Um, and I think there are there are other aspects um, that are important and that are, are critical steel case. Um, one of them is is keeping this balance between being a public company and being financially sound, which which we are, um, with other aspects that have a lot to do with why people want to to work for our company or be associated with, associated with our company. And this is kind of this movement away from just the financial emphasis to the triple bottom line, looking at social responsibility is a, is a big portion of, of um, that environmental uh, can be very environmentally sound sustainability. So I think that there's this kind of this whole new expectation about around companies that's very important. So anybody inside our organization who touches those parts of the business is very important, this whole strategic direction, if you will. Um, and then how that manifests itself in our product. Uh, what we bring to market has to also reflect those same things. It has to reflect the science, the research, the understanding of uh, our customers and our users to really, um, for it to be well, uh, to, for it to be really believable, I think. So there's more than just the, the uh, speed, it's the quality that you bring to the market, how you distinguish yourself as something um, that's different in a world that's constantly trying to commoditize uh, everything you do. And, and again, I think that is such a, a, a tough uh, set of circumstances, but that's our tough set of circumstances. Those are the circumstances we face as business people. Um, and so you can't have everything expert inside your own four walls. You don't need to. You should tap into experts. Um, we take strategic partnerships very seriously. Uh, we really look for people who have values that we can feel very comfortable with, who have uh, financial strength that we can feel comfortable with, because we really take the part of who we are, putting it in their hands, and then they become integrated into our, what our customers see of us. Um, but that is, but we do need to be able to link with that expertise and try to, instead of trying to have everything inside our own four walls. So it is about that model which you showed earlier about what's inside and outside as well. Um, I can take a minute and see, are there any questions uh, from the audience before we talk a little bit about leadership skills? No, no, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Okay. together a list and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. So what are the key skill sets that are going to be required of leaders in the organization moving forward? Um, I think the first there is, is what you know maybe the most important, the in-depth business knowledge. So understanding again the business of the business um, as far as going from Siemens to the Ranger, you know, with the probably you know learn a lot about logistics and distribution and, and really be able to speak that language with these customers. Uh, and see what Nancy needs to be able to speak about uh, the workplace, the workplace environments um, with the uh, facilities. Um, having high-level financial uh, information technology acumen is not necessarily having to be able to do all the detailed analysis, but be able to understand what the analysis mean and, and where, where you can take the, the, uh, the insights. Business process management, performance management, as we spoke about earlier. Uh, collaborative leadership capabilities, so working cross-functionally throughout the entire enterprise and within the network service delivery model. And Nancy's comments in the other class, you can speak more to that. Um, ability to manage through ambiguity, I think, is also an important one, uh, because that is uh, pretty much becoming the norm in the recent days. Um, do you have a story there for me? <laughs> 
Uh, I, I think that's the hallmark when you work with corporations. The higher you go, the more ambiguity. It's not clear cut. And, and, and if you start at the very, very bottom of all of it, you say, with someone that's working in a warehouse, there are very specific metrics. You have very, very narrow swim lanes. The higher you go in the organization, the more ambiguous. And also, influence without authority. And that's, uh, that's a huge issue because typically you're going to find that you don't have. They don't, these other groups do not report to you. So it's very, very, it is been ambiguous, but you have to also uh, be able to process that and get these users to You have to be comfortable with ambiguity, too. I mean, not just manage through it. You have to understand that that's a, that's a, a persistent state. Um, you know, I, I remember earlier in my career, it was always about you know getting things done, getting everything done, and doing it you know, within the time frames. And then it, as I moved up in my in the organization, it was about getting the right things done. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's just about getting as many of the right things done as I possibly can because there, it's it's never it's never that clear. It's clearest at the bottom, and it gets much more murky. But but the people at the bottom are looking for people at the top to make clarity out of it. And since you see so many more angles and so many more sides of an issue, it's it, it demands more time, demands more thought. And if your thought is is not um, if your thought is not educated by a broader sense of the business, you can tend to make decisions that really don't won't sustain themselves. We also see where um, in, the, in the field where operations and sales are linked together, joined at the hip, they are the most successful. Conversely, the the overnight uh, then you know, the issues. So again, it, it just reinforces the, the whole aspect of we're all in, we're all in together. Great. And the last bullet we have here is the ability to obtain and provide the best information and data within the enterprise. So that speaks to again being uh, working in a collaborative fashion within the net, internal network. Um, so uh, clearly, you know, when we look at, the, look at this list um, and apply it to this model here on this next one, and there's a gap, um, especially within you know, many existing organizations today. If you look at the bottom half of this, you have you know, core real estate skills, and moving up to core business skills, and then you get up to enterprise skills. Uh, and really, the gap is really between the enterprise skills and the core business skills. It's you know, trying to find the right people uh, to lead in this, in this transition period, let's call it, as organizations are really changing the way they need to work. Um, that, that's the real, the, the real issue of concern today. Um, and that really begins to get to some of the concerns around talent um, and the, you know, the war for talent and, the, and, the, and so forth. And I, I'd love to hear from, from Nancy maybe how you guys are beginning to deal with that uh, as the case. One of the first things we, had, we felt we had to do, because we're going to face the same battle, we're going to be fighting with all of you out there for good talent. Um, everybody's going to hit this same wall at about the same time as the baby boomers start to leave the workforce. And we're all going to be grabbing for people. So um, when you get there first, you have a better advantage. I'm not telling all of you to get there first, but we're going to try to get there as early as we can. Uh, because you need to seed your organization with people who are going to uh, be models to others who come and look at your organization. So if I'm trying to hire a number of people with regardless of the discipline in the 25 to 30 year old range and they don't see any, they're not going to come. They're going to look for people inside the organization who look like them. They're also going to look for people who have similar backgrounds or people who started in a job that they're interested in who've now moved on to something else, again, to get that career variety. Um, I think is a very, very important thing. So we're, you know, we're trying, we're facing that. We're saying, how do we get out there early? And then we also need to understand why would someone want to work for Steelcase? So we've actually just done some, some pretty deep research trying to understand what's the employee value proposition. You know, we talk about the value proposition to our customers, but really, in the last few years, have we spent any time wondering why someone would want to work for our company? What's, what's distinctive about it? And I won't drag you through the whole presentation, but a couple things that were kind of surprises to us. One thing is Steelcase is an Allsman old company. It's a 95-year-old company. And when we interview people and talk to them, they kind of like that because they say, well, you know, you've been around a long time and you've had to change and reinvent yourself numerous times to be successful. And you've had um, taken a, a leadership position globally. Um, so that, that actually is very attractive to them. Another thing is the fact that we are an international company. 
Very few people that we interview under the age of 30 have graduated from college without working in another culture, uh, I'm sorry, not working, going to school in another culture, living someplace else. They're very comfortable with that. And in fact, to them, that's a part of a rich career. They want to be, join a company where they know that's going to be a possibility for them if they choose to, to exercise that. Um, then, then another thing that comes up over and over again, and then I think especially for that 30-year-old group, is the fact that they've come up into business during this time of a lot of corporate scandal. They don't want to work for a company that's not ethical. And they, want, they don't want me just to tell them that we're ethical. They want to see proof statements in the way we behave in the marketplace on our record of disclosure as a public company, and as a public company, there is nothing you can hide. So they can go look at any release we've ever, we've ever done, any information we've ever shared. Um, environmental, sustainability, how we treat the environment is a huge deal. We're a company that manufactures. They want to know, well, what do you do? What happens? How? What about the products you put out there? Are they healthy? Are they sound? Um, and then they want to know what we give back. You know, what do you give back to the community? And, and those are things, the ones I'm mentioning, are ones that we have identified are fairly strong qualities in Steelcase. They're a really good part of our value proposition. Um, if somebody's just looking for money, they can find somebody else to pay them more. And, and I'm not really going to be able to compete on that one little um, aspect of working for our company. But there's a lot of things that we do and we do really well. So I think understanding what your value proposition is is a big part of this war on talent. So you really have to know what you have and how does it match up to what people that you're, uh, you're pursuing are interested in. I think to echo that as well, um, when we opened up our, our China operation a number of years ago, because we're also a small core group, uh, right now we have 200 employees uh, in, uh, in, in China. And something that's really interesting is you talk about the corporate talent here, you should see what it's like over there. Nancy and I were just talking about uh, before the session is that the, the ones that are really qualified and, and you can get an MBA in, in some very prestigious universities in China, but they may not be up to the levels that they have either in, in the West or in Europe. And so we're constantly, we're, you know, you're, you're in a war and also to have to work for a very, very prestigious international, well situated company, well positioned financially. It's extremely important because they're looking for opportunities potentially to come to work here. Uh, I think a uh, question bombarded by some of the, the, my staff members over there about what's it like to, to uh, work in, in the U.S. What's it like? As a matter of fact, we sponsored two individuals. They came over in, in, in December and they were in China before. And this was just you know, really a shift. The other aspect is in, in domestically. Uh, choice assignments for those that are going into uh, uh, their opportunities in markets like Mexico uh, and China. Um, those are really reserved for the, the very, very high performing, the ones that you're going to make the, the large investment. Not everyone's going to be able to work on those. So you have the ability to, to uh, really leverage them. And I, I think this is extremely important to, to get the type of entertainment. Uh, so you mentioned that you have hired so many of your staff in the last couple of years. What are the key skills and, and competencies that you look for uh, in, these, in these new folks? I think um, the, the couple of uh, areas, uh, certainly in a diversity of work experience, that's extremely important. It doesn't have to be in, in purely uh, real estate, purely project management. Uh, again, we've hired people out of the banking sector. Uh, we've had uh, people from service providers. Real estate service providers. Um, we've had actually uh, hired an individual um, as a background from Motorola, who was a chemist. Uh, and so it's a, it's different skill sets, but they, you know, the things that, really come, uh, that we're looking for is uh, willing to learn, uh, open to new suggestions, they can be eager, um, they need to have you know, the attributes that are going to serve them not only themselves, but serve the company. Uh, well, uh, curiosity, that's the crisis. Uh, I'm very uh, very curious when I'm, I'm out in the field. I, my eyes are constantly going, so I'm, I'm absorbing everything that I see. And that's, a, I think, a, a, an important aspect for people that we hire is, are they curious? Um, do they want to learn? Uh, do, they, do they see new things? You know, what are they seeing? So you, you've got to, you need to have a very, I think, broad, diverse background that really does help you. 
I think that um, I, I look for people who have a proven ability to master content and an interest in learning more. You know, you can, if someone has a bandwidth, at least a proven track of intellectual bandwidth, and I'm not talking about, you know, mathematic algorithms here, but they've just, they've taken something, they've grasped it, they've cared about learning about it, they've gotten a deep knowledge, but they have curiosity about other things, and enthusiasm, enthusiasm for learning, they can learn new content. Um, I think that is it's much more important that they have an attitude that's collaborative, that they're energized by, by wanting to learn. They are excited about that. They've proven they can do it. And they want to prove over and over again that they can. Um, to me, that's the kind of quality. Those are the kind of qualities that I'm, I'm looking for. I've got a lot of time for people like that, and we have a lot of places for people like that. Those characteristics. Um, the uh, I think a challenge is for different levels or different parts of the organization to talk to other parts. Okay. We have our own vocabulary, we have our own way of thinking of things, and we need to dial it up to the next level to some other group to use the information. How do you have to go about changing that vocabulary to be able to mesh with the way that people need to hear stuff? So when you're director of real estate and you're trying to talk to the chief administrative officer, or the chief administrator officer is trying to listen to the director of real estate, how do you go about readjusting your vocabulary? What's really significantly important to the CAO to understand about what real estate is doing? Or what does this real estate need to understand about what the CAO is looking for? Uh, I would say that early on, it's, first of all, you have to be able to understand what each other's saying. I mean, I, I, you know, you think about the disciplines I manage, people could totally out-acronym me forever, and I have no idea. In the first six months of these jobs, I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and I'm very honest about that because I can't fake it. You know, I have no idea. I, I didn't know what CRE was for a while there. You know, but so I, and I was in charge of it. So, so, you know, so it, it's a matter. I think 